So as you know, on Unscalable, we like to speak to people who have adopted an unscalable approach to growing their business. So today I'm super excited to have Eric Sue on the show. Eric is an investor, founder, and advisor to companies. He's also the chairman of the agency Single Grain and has worked with companies such as Amazon, Uber, and Salesforce. Eric hosts two podcasts, Marketing School with Neil Patel and Leveling Up. He's also recently released the book, Leveling Up, which you can find at levelingup.com. Eric, just a massive thank you for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me, Gavin. Uh, so, so in your book, um, you, you obviously compare life to a game. Why is life like a game and what lessons can founders and CEOs learn from this, this analogy? Yeah. So to me, life is a game because I played a lot of games growing from age eight, probably age six, actually, to 22 or so. I, I played a lot of games and that was my life. I mean, without games, I wouldn't have gotten confidence. I wouldn't have learned about collaboration. I wouldn't have learned about communication, teamwork, and what it really takes to do the best things. And it's very similar to the world of business. I also compare gaming to poker. I played a lot of poker in, in college as well. And in poker, you learn to, to think like an investor. You have to manage your bankroll. You have to manage your emotions. And you have to know when to swing, right? Uh, also, you have to know when you're hot as well. And you, you learn to think long-term as well. So everything around that is really you know, a, a game, right? And even learning how to reframe certain things, right? So, you know, if someone's talking down to you or, you know, people are not treating you well, instead of getting really angry about it, sure, it might hurt in the short term, but just uh, just enjoy it and learn to reframe that pain into something that's going to help you grow, right? So I actually, in some sick way now, when people are, you might hear something through the grapevine, I actually enjoy it now because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to use that to get stronger. So every time you say that, instead of me feeling down, I'm going to get stronger, right? So it's, to me, life is really about going around collecting power-ups and learning how to, you know, think differently, read different books, upgrade my thinking, upgrade my habits, and just keep getting a little better every single day. And then, you know, keep doing that until I die and then um, hopefully have a really good life because we're not really here for that long. Yeah. It's actually interesting because we just brought in a, a new CEO who's replaced me in the company. She's come in, obviously I was running the company for 13 years. She's come in now as a fresh CEO. And obviously me being the founder and the CEO, I've obviously overcome all the obstacles, all those challenges that have helped me level up over the years. So that's a really, really interesting analogy. That makes sense. Yep. I mean, the entire life is just leveling up, man. I mean, that's, that's my <laughs> ultimate mission, right? It's just to, to level up the world. Very broad mission, and it's something I'll never accomplish. <laughs> uh, so you, you famously uh, bought your agency, Single Grain, for $2. Uh, can you tell me how you spotted the opportunity and what led you to that decision? <laughs> you know, I, I like to say if I were to go back and do it again, I wouldn't do it again. But do I regret it? Definitely not. So basically, I was leading marketing at a technology startup and um, uh, my, my podcast co-host, Neil, was like, hey, why don't you come help save this agency? And to me, this kind of felt like a game, too. It's like, oh, look, I, you know, age 25 or 26 years old, I'm leading marketing at this startup and I helped turn the startup around just by adding good marketing. Now, can I help save a failing company? And that to me was a much greater challenge. I was like, okay, we don't, service isn't working anymore. And going into a service-based business is not exactly something that tech people do, right? And in fact, a lot of tech people at, at, at this is 2010, looking at it, it's like, you kind of look down on the service-based world, right? Um, and that, I don't think that's the correct way of thinking, but that's how I was at that time. And so I was like, okay, look, if I can turn this around, I can do anything. So it was much more to kind of test myself and also prove to myself that I can do it. Um, now, the bet here was thinking about poker and, and thinking in bets here. It's an asymmetric bet because if it works, my upside is is pretty much uncapped, right? I can then take the cash flows from the service business and go invest it into more 
durable sources of income or more exponential sources of income. And if I failed, I put in a contingency in the deal saying I would owe nothing. I would owe $0, right? Um, and so to me, okay, look, if I fail, I owe $0, but it's an expensive MBA um, in terms of um, time investment. And if I win, it's unlimited upside. So heads I win, tails I also win. So it's a no-brainer type of bet. So I think you know a lot of investors, um, the best investors in the world, they're looking for asymmetric bets, right? I think oftentimes you think about the stock market, but you can actually do it with small business acquisitions as well. What was the size of the team when you when you kind of acquired them? Yeah. So when I took over, um, I think it was not a big team. We had like 13 or 14 people or so. Um, and then a year into it, actually, I, I made it go from bad to worse. And it dropped all the way down to one employee. So oh that's that's that was probably the worst it ever was. But, um, you know, things uh, things turned around and we just kept, you know, growing from there. And um, yeah, happy to talk about, you know, how things progressed. But yeah. Yeah. So you were working at Treehouse before, I believe. What were some of the lessons you learned from working at Treehouse, obviously a tech company that kind of helped you turn single grain around? Well, I, I think the first thing you learn is that culture is everything. I mean, you see all the top CEOs talk about it, right? If you were to think about the CEOs of Zoom, Amazon, Google, maybe not Amazon, but um, Zoom, you know, Google, Facebook, why do they keep winning Glassdoor all the time? It's because they have a very strong culture, right? Love them or hate mm-hmm. these, these these companies. And so culture is very much the operating system. And I didn't learn that. And because I didn't learn that the first year, that's how we dropped all the way down to one employee. I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people didn't like me that year, right? <laughs> um, and you know, the other thing I learned too is that, look, if you have a great product, that's not enough. You, you've got to have great marketing because we, you know, on the treehouse side, we had a great product. We had a great mission. We had a great culture, but that just wasn't enough. Um, and, you know, on the single range side, kind of, kind of the same thing, but, but more problems, right? So I, I would just say at the end of the day, if you can get the, if you get the culture right, you get the people right. If you get the people right, everything else is solved. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. Mm. Yeah, I think similar to, to what you said now, um, obviously I've been through those cultural issues where I made maybe mistakes in hiring that resulted in like just massive exits in the company, people leaving. Um, and then learning how to kind of build a culture. Uh, so like now we have people who have been there for 10 plus years in the company. But I, I kind of learned how to build this people analyzer sort of process or system that helps me to decide if someone is the right fit for the company. And since then, the company's just gone crazy, like in terms of growth. So I agree, people are everything and the culture is super important. Um, I think there's a tweet that you, you wrote uh, that really resonated with me, um, where you said that whenever you try to hack or a shortcut, it usually doesn't work out. Even if it does, it doesn't last very long. Uh, looking at the game of business with a long-term lens. So essentially, you you have this philosophy of look, kind of looking at the long term. Can you explain like how you prioritize long-term views over sort of short-term hacks and how you think about that? I'll just think about this from a business perspective. So oftentimes, and I think a lot of people are going to disagree with me here. I think it's important to understand your numbers and understand that you have a profitable business. So you can you can think of it as stellar discretionary earnings, profit, whatever. Just understand internally, if you're the owner or the investor, hey, the business is actually profitable. Um, you know, what? But, but what can I do to grow it faster? So let's say I haven't taken on venture funding, but I want to grow faster. And maybe it doesn't make sense for me to, I can either take the profits and pay 50% you know, maybe even more now if you live in uh, different states in the United States, right? You have to pay more and more taxes. So the other thing you can do is if you understand what you're doing and you understand long-term what the vision is for the company, you might just try to bring that profit all the way down to zero and just continue to reinvest, right? And just understand that you're building for enterprise value. Um, and so, you know, I, I think we're all taught to just focus on profit and like, what, what do you take home? What do you take home? But 
if you're, this is kind of goes back into gaming a little bit, the longer you're willing to defer, the more you, you compound, you know, called, called the snowball effect, right? Warren Buffett, great book, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, that, that's one of the, the, that's one of the, the hacks, right? Because again, most business owners like profit, 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 right? Um, especially in the internet marketing world. It's just like, you see them talking about money all the time, talking about money. But if you're reinvest that, reinvesting into the company, you're reinvesting into R&D, into people, into culture, into all these things, that's going to build long-term goodwill for the company. And you're going to be pretty hard to stop, right? It's just, it's hard to see those gains because when you think about Amazon as an example, uh, Jeff Bezos used to say, look, all the things that you're seeing right now, we started this stuff three years ago, right? And they're the ultimate example of long-term because for years and years, they were kind of, you know, they were made fun of all the time because they didn't have a profit, right? Um, and you realize that some of the best business people in the world, all of a sudden they come out of nowhere. It's because they kept deferring and deferring and deferring. So the longer you can defer, um, I think it's, it's, it's an unfair advantage, um, because I, I, I'm willing, I also understand too, that for a lot of people, you might have other obligations such as a mortgage, a family and all that. Right. So that's what I would say. Um, but I, I learned that I, it took a while to learn that. So uh, it's just interesting. I think, I think for me, I probably didn't invest enough in the company. Yeah. I, you know, our, our margins are like 45% attendable. It was crazy margins. Uh, so Amazing. we're super profitable and, uh, but yeah, I guess it paid off in the end. Um, yeah, so as you know, Sendable was recently acquired and I'm deciding what to do next. Now, I know you've been busy buying companies. I know we had to postpone our, our podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, what advice would you give to someone just getting started in investing or looking to acquire companies? I've looked at Micro Acquire briefly, uh, very, very tempted to get involved there. But where do you start if you're just getting getting into it? Yeah, so I think it's important to understand what's going on in the world of business buying in general. So I, I always like starting with books so I can understand frameworks. Books don't necessarily replace experience, but it's a good starting point. So there's a book called Buy Then Build. It's a great starting point. And also Buying a Small Business, Harvard Business Review. And then there's one called, I think it's The the Messy Middle, The Messy Marketplace mm-hmm. um, by Brent uh, Bishore, I believe. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but those are all good places to start. And then you realize that what a lot of these people are doing are all similar. Oh, agile, agile M&A is another one. Um, and it's, it's, you have, it, it's, it's kind of a mental block, right? It's, it's a level that you need to also get through. It's just like, Oh, if people are buying businesses, Oh, I'm not good enough for that. And, just, and you realize, no, they're all running the same playbook and they're all people that are no smarter than you. They're just, they're, they're nice people that are sharing their knowledge. And, um, that's what I would say. That that's a good starting point. I think micro acquire has been great. Um, obviously, there's the other sites out there. Um, I think what I would say is like right now we're about to close on uh, another agency, so I'm working on buying a couple agencies right now to build the ultimate marketing team. There's a whole thesis around that, but um, you know that's kind of my circle of competence. And so what I can do is I can actually go to a broker as an example, um, a broker that focuses on buying agencies. Tell her what. Or, or him, what I'm looking for. And, um, you know, that's, that's worked out pretty well. And I can also do hand to hand combat, right? I mean, just the, I, I think t- two days ago, we had someone reach out to me. Um, he wanted to sell his course to me that's doing like a million and a half, right? And like 500K in profit. Um, but that, that's through relationships. So I, th- I think you can do hand to hand combat. You can do brokers. You can go look at uh, the micro acquires of the world. Those are all great places. But I think you have to have a, a foundation first. And then um, even now, like, you know, maybe a month ago, we had a, a guy that wants to do the same thing. He wants to do like a 
you know, similar to a Berkshire Hathaway model, right? Holding company model. And I, I said, Hey, look, I'll, I'll work with you. But my thesis is I only want to focus on things where I can plug in my audience and I can plug in my marketing team and, and actually add fuel to the fire. Um, that's where it makes sense. And that that's where it's easy to grow. And so um, it's, you know, after you read the thing, that's kind of the base layer, then you establish what your thesis is. And then you start, um, you know, going to going to source and then you start you know doing all the other stuff, right? So that's all I would say if you want to get started. But having an experienced broker goes a long way too because they often have people that they work with all the time that they'll refer and they can actually get you through that entire process fairly quickly. Um, so it's it's been pretty pleasant for me. And um, would you view these as sort of high risk investments or like how do you how do you view these these kinds of acquisitions? Um, I well, I mean. This might get a little political right now, but we, who knows what's going to happen with with you know our, our fiat currencies, right? So I, yeah. everything could be high risk right now. I think you know the best investment you can make in is in yourself. If if that's really the case, then kind of in a sense, if you're buying a business where you understand it and you you you're a majority shareholder, that's kind of investing in yourself, in my opinion. Because when you're buying a business or when you're running a business, Gavin, you understand there's a lot of stuff that you're learning and you are investing in yourself, right? And so to me, it's not as risky because I'm betting on myself and worst case scenario, if I fail, it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, and I mean, I, at least I learned a lot. So that's, yeah. that's my logic behind it. And you obviously buy the team with the business, right? So you're acquiring the whole, whole thing. Correct. There has to be a team and there has to be a leadership team, meaning I'm not trying to buy a job. So ideally someone would stay in maybe one of the owners or someone senior and they would take 15, keep 15, 20% of the business, or maybe even a little more than that. And, um, you know, we just give them the resources that they need to succeed. And the way I work with people, I, I really delegate with loose follow-ups and I, I don't like telling people what to do because, um, it, it, it's an element of being controlled, right? I, I don't want to be controlled like that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. they have to be pretty autonomous. And um, just from the companies you've acquired, is there any pattern in terms of what the sellers are wanting? Like, are they wanting to retire? Like, what, what's the pattern there? You know, they're, um, what I would say, I mean, on the agency side, usually they're pretty burnt out. I would say on the software mm-hmm. side of things, um, they're actually open to kind of continuing to stay or, um, you know, some of them just want to move on to the next project. So um, it, it really varies. Yeah, I think it's really important to ask people, though, like when you're one of the very first questions to ask is like, why are you selling? And then trying to understand, like, well, you know, you know, if you sell, like, what are you going to do? Right. And, and more so, like, what are they planning to do um, with the sale proceeds? Right. Because then maybe you can come up with some ideas on how to get them what they want. So, yeah. And um, just sorry, on the topic again, uh, any advice on the due diligence side? Like, what sort of things do you look for to make sure it's a safe investment? Yeah. So, I mean, one big thing is on, on the cultural side. Um, so actually let me rewind before that. I mean, you can generally sense if you trust someone just by interacting with them quite a bit. Um, what, what I'll do is I'll actually, um, fly the people over to me to meet me in person. And usually if you hang out with someone for a couple hours or so, you're, you're going to know kind of how they are. Um, but you know, checking references also like as part of the due diligence process, understanding what their metrics are, right? So on, in the SaaS world, obviously you want to know what, uh, ARPU numbers are, churn numbers are, what their sales and marketing uh, machine looks like, who are their A players, right? And I classify A players as A1, A2, and A3. Happy to explain that later. Um, I just want to understand like um, kind of what are the core assets that they have and also what other assets do they have? Do you have other software? Do you have other websites and all that? Um, and, you know, just looking at that. And the other thing too is as part of due diligence um, or actually just goes into the LOI. So before you send a letter of intent, just basically outlining, hey, like, 
I'm probably looking to buy your assets and I'm not looking for a stock sale because if you buy the assets, then, um, you know, you're not going to be liable for any of the, you know, potential problems that they have, they might have. So, yeah. Cool. Um, so I- I'm trying to get back into startups again after 13 years of running Sendable. And it's obviously, it's really, really hard to start again. It's, it's hard to kind of break through the noise. Um, there's obviously so much choice out there right now. What advice would you give to startups today for, or any business for that matter, just trying to stand out in an extremely crowded sort of market and space at the moment? Yeah, I think I'm going to give the cliche market advice, marketing advice, right? Because everyone's talking about the creator economy right now, which is like, to me, it's just like, dude, it's just creating content again. <laughs> no. So um, I think it's important to establish yourself on one channel first, whether it's podcasts or YouTube or Twitter or drop in audio. I, I think figuring out what that channel is and continuing to grow it. I mean, you can see some of the most successful people in, in, in the Valley Right. Um, so Justin Khan, who sold Twitch, I mean, he's growing his YouTube channel. Gary Tan, the early investor in Coinbase and Instacart, he's growing on YouTube as well. I, today I was talking to some YouTube consultants too. Like I'm looking to grow there too. Um, so I, I think it's establishing a foothold somewhere where you kind of have that moat. And from there, you can figure out how to build a business around that. Right. Um, I think, you know, building a great product, at least in the software world to me is becoming more of a commodity. Um, I think building the audience is the tougher part. And, you know, case in point, you, you look at um, Logan Paul, right? He's fighting Floyd Mayweather. He's He built the audience first and then he built the business, right? I'm, I'm not saying you have to go become an influencer. But what I will say is I think we're going to see a rise in more kind of business influencers or more B2B influencers. Um, so so would you say SEO is still important or not really? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, I, I did an interview on the, the Pomp podcast. So Anthony Pompliano, big crypto guy, and then... Uh, we're talking about SEO and one guy on Twitter was, was poo pooing me. Right. Um, and you know, he's saying SEO is dead, blah, blah, blah. You hear Gary V saying SEO is dead. It's just, you know, it's just not something they, they, they really understand that much. But what I would say is SEO is an unfair advantage because of the fact that not a lot of people understand it. And also most people aren't patient, aren't willing to wait, you know, one, two, three years to see really good results. But maybe you don't have to wait that long. If you have resources, can you go out there and can you go buy a website that has a strong, um, presence on it and then you publish content or you can you can buy that website and then go buy another website mm-hmm. that has a ton of content and then redirect it to your website and then boom you're ranking right it doesn't have to be that complicated um, and so to me seo is it's a blue ocean because it's so tough to to break into there's kind of a, a moat around that right to break in and um, i think from there you get to use the leverage from that if you're getting like a hundred thousand visits a month, maybe a million visits a month, you're collecting more emails, you have more data to retarget. Um, there's just a lot that you can do with it, right? So I think SEO is still invaluable, at least as of this recording. I, actually, you know, I, I should back up a second too. So, sorry. So I, SEO is going to be relevant forever as long as human beings are searching for things. But sorry, I cut you off. I was going to say, obviously, with SEO, it takes time. And obviously, you have, you have these sort of smart voice devices, Alexa, you know, Google Home, all these things. Surely brand is more important than SEO these days. Like, how would you think about investing? Would you choose brand over SEO for the short term? Or would you still consider like SEO as a a good long-term sort of strategy and investment? Yeah, I think if I were starting out, I'd go with brand first. Because if I start with a LinkedIn as an example for B2B, I know the organic reach is strong right now. So I know I'm going to get picked up faster. 
Or let's say I was doing D to C, I would go for TikTok. I, I might go for, you know, kind of these shorts platforms um, or even YouTube as well, because discoverability is pretty good. And so yeah. I would aim for those. And, and to an extent, even Twitter too, it's, it's hard to, to go viral on Twitter, but um, you can do it. I, that's why I mess, you see me messing around with Twitter. Right? Yeah. I'm trying to, like when I have time, I'm, I'm trying to post more to it. And I'm just realizing I might actually just hire a guy and, and pay him on performance <laughs> for tweets because he's really good at it. Yeah. Um, so I would focus on the brand because everyone has something different to say, right? Like you might have yeah. something to say on social. I might just focus on, you know, leveling up in, in general. And everyone's got, you know, I'm kind of referring to Twitter right now, but everyone's got something unique. So mm. it's actually interesting. Like Twitter's really innovating like crazy right now. I think there's tons of opportunity there at the moment. Um, yep. Something I often often talk about, our ads are becoming far less effective these days. So at Sendable, we've actually never relied on ads ever in our growth. It's always been reputation, word of mouth, brand. Um, what are your thoughts on the future of advertising? Yeah, I mean, look, look at what's going on with Apple, right? On the agency side, we look at it, it's like, you know, a lot of the clients are getting hit by by iOS 14. It's because they rely too much on ads. And I, I've been saying this over the years. It's just you have to build your own platform. So, you know, drive them, collect email lists, collect SMS, um, you know, SEO to an extent. You don't really own it, though. Um, but you got to own as much as you can because, you know, at the end of the day, these platforms are centralized and they're going to do what's right for them. And it's not their fault or anything like that. It's just how they're incentivized. So, um, you know, it. it it is what it is and we can cry about it or you can do something about it. So <laughs> uh, from your perspective, obviously you're everywhere. You're kind of in, involved in every sort of marketing channel there is. Uh, but from a marketing perspective, what has been the number one sort of most successful thing you've done and what's been least successful? I, I would say, I mean, one, one thing is don't do what I'm doing where I'm, I'm half-assing a lot of channels. Um, I would say podcasting at SEO is number one. Podcasting is probably number two. I, I would say those two really go hand in hand and, um, podcasting is really incredible to me because, um, when I was living in, in LA, actually multiple times when I lived, you know, in my building, I was in the elevator and, and people would turn it, turn at me and say, Hey, are you Eric from marketing school? Um, and that happened even when I moved to another building too, it's just, it's, it probably happened three or four times. So, um, I'm like, wow, okay. I guess podcasting is, is great because they didn't t- say, talk about the YouTube channel or anything. Cause, um, you know, so that's what I would say. I, I think YouTube has a lot more potential though. So, mm. Yeah, it's actually true about podcasting. So a couple of years ago, I launched the, the, the Sendable Insider podcast. And I went to a big conference like later that year. And everyone knew my story. They all knew who I was. They knew every little detail about me. It was incredible how you can like break through those barriers and kind of build this amazing level of trust. So I, I can definitely see how that works with being in someone's ears for 20, 30 minutes and then listening to your voice. and your Yeah, I mean, they, they, you, you become their friend. So Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so obviously the, the show is called Unscalable, and I like to reflect on the things that were less repeatable uh, that I did to propel my business forward. But I've seen the, I've seen things you've, that you've done that is very, from the outside, looks really unscalable. Um, in particular, the amount of content that you produce across all those different channels that really can't be scalable. Can you share like how you produce so much content, whether it's on podcasts, YouTube, obviously LinkedIn, Twitter, wherever else you are? How do you, how do you scale that? Yeah. So I'll talk about how we're doing it right now. And I'll talk about how I, I we, we could improve at it because I, I do think there's a lot of room for improvement. So, you know, we batch out our content days. So usually on Thursdays, today's a Thursday, by the way. Um, so I try to do my podcasts, whether it's marking school or leveling up or get being on other podcasts. Um, you know, after I get my video set up, you can see in, in Miami right now, like I still need to get my backdrop. There's a little bit of an echo in the room, um, you know, once we get that fixed, I'll be recording a lot more video content. So we batch our days. That's one thing. 
And then the other thing is we have a team that, you know, of, of editors, of video producers um, that, you know, they're, they're great. What I would say is we want to make sure that we hire experts for these channels, um, people that really understand how to grow YouTube, how to understand Twitter or grow Twitter and Instagram, right? Because largely what we've been doing is we've been kind of piecemealing things together and we have a lot of um, kind of junior to mid-senior level people on the team and they're great, right? But they need, once you bring in someone that knows what they're doing with direction, then things just move a lot faster. And Gavin, you know how this is, right? Once you hire that one VP, oh my God, things move a lot faster and you're like, okay, yeah. that's what it feels like, right? So it's funny because... I do it for my companies, but I don't do it for the brand stuff. So I think it's time to level up on that side and say, hey, like instead of me trying to drive everything, just hire the experts that know it and not try to act like the best marketer. Um, because, you know, and, and Neil and I have talked about this on the Marketing School podcast. We actually shouldn't be the best marketers. Um, you got to <laughs> hamstring yourself if you're the best marketer. So yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Um, so just in terms of your actual content production, like are you writing scripts every time you record a video? Or are you just speaking off the cuff? Like, do you have notes in front of you? How do you approach? No. So, um, yeah. On the marketing school side, um, we just we just riff. And um, that's the one I do with Neil. And then on with the video stuff, usually I'm just riffing as well. I might have some bullet points in front of me, but I don't typically do well with an outline. That being said, if we're doing a, like, let's say we're recording like a longer video, I, I probably will need more notes around it. And then it might be like multiple takes. But um, yeah, that's largely what it is. So, so you, so you allocate like every Thursday to recording content. Yep. yep. Um, and then could you describe like the other days in the week? Like, like what else are you like, what does an average day for Eric C look like? Yeah. So Fridays are completely blocked out for strategic thinking. Um, I, I think you, you, you know, the value of that. I mean, obviously if you're just thinking about the core things that are really bothering you and, and just addressing it, that goes a long way or even spending Fridays just reading stuff. Um, because I mean, look, the best investors in the world, they're just spending their time reading. Right. Um, mm. So Mondays are, I get all my meetings on Mondays, right? So all my one-on-ones, any like, um, we, we have these traction meetings. Sometimes I'll hop into these traction meetings to, to, to assist. And that's really, I mean, other than that, I mean, the core things I focus on or I try to focus on is either just content creation, recruiting, or doing deals. And doing deals could be like mergers and acquisitions type of stuff or coming up with a really creative way to, you know, bundle things together, right? Or, or find synergies with all the things that we have going on because I get to look at it from a 30,000 foot view. Cool. So last question is, what do you want to be known as? Obviously, you're involved in marketing, investing. What's your sort of passion? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think the hope is when people have gone through my stuff or maybe when they think about how Eric made them feel, it's more so, wow, you know, the stuff that I checked out from Eric, it really helped me level up, right? And and I think whether that's marketing content habits or whatever it is exactly, that's what it is. Because I mean, it's the reason why I did the book in the first place is really to help my 12 year old self. Right. And, um, yeah, I, I think it's just, as long as we just get a little better every single day, I, that's what it's all about. Cool. Uh, before we go, as I said before, we have a mix of entrepreneurs, founders, marketers, and agencies. You're obviously using sendable. Um, I know you're all over the web, different places. Where's the best place for people to find you online? Yeah. They can go to levelingup.com or you can just hit me up on Instagram or Twitter. It's at Eric, E-R-I-C, O as in orange, S as in sugar, I-U at Eric Osu. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us, Eric. And uh, see you soon. Cheers. Thanks, Gavin. Take care.